Share the best, greatest, most entertaining, and/or weirdest film that you could find. My name is Carlo, and we'll be sharing the holiday loot today in February because we can and we must. This is episode 99, the holiday loot, the continuation of the episode we released way back in December, which was titled "The Holiday Assignment," where me and just me settled on the loot of films to watch during that month, and that's what we'll be sharing today. But before we move on to that, let's talk a bit about our past episodes. Like I've said, we're still catching up with a bunch of episodes. Last week, we released our closing loot with Pete from Middle Class Film Class, where we talk about closing scenes in sort of the spirit of closing of the year for the podcast. So consider this episode like an epilogue of sorts. Before that, we released episode 97, the November loot, where me and friend and filmmaker Todd Sullivan talk about the films we saw in November, a lot of great films in that loot. And finally, we also released episode 96, the found footage loot with filmmaker Eduardo Sanchez, co-creator of the Blair Witch Project. That one was a true honor to do. And although we had a somewhat disastrous month in December, we did chart up and down in places like Switzerland, Hong Kong, the United Arab Emirates, and Great Britain. So if you're listening from any of these places, thank you so much for your support. And if this is the first time you're listening, you already know where you can find us. The Movie Loot is available on every podcasting platform. And if you are listening through Apple Podcasts or any other platform that allows you to rate or review, please do so. That's one of the best ways to spread the loot and share it with more people. If people see that the show has a good rating, of course, they'll be more inclined to check it out. But anyway, let's move on to the Holiday Loot, where I will unwrap the loot that the holidays brought to me. Let's go. Like I said in the intro, in December, I settled on five categories of what to watch during that month. And those categories were the following. A film with a title that starts with the letters W, X, Y, or Z. A Western, the last Best Picture winner I haven't seen. A Christmas or holiday film. And a film from Michael Cortese. But since it's just me today, I'll go more or less chronologically in the order that I watched them, including the ones that didn't fit the challenge. For those that listened to the November loot with Todd Sullivan, I mentioned how I was trying to catch up with a bunch of film noirs in November. Well, that continued into December because I watched four. I saw Act of Violence from 1948, which follows a former World War II POW determined to find one of his platoon buddies, but not to say hello, but to kill him. 
The reasons why are a big part of what makes the mystery of the film, and one of the main reasons why I enjoyed it. Director Fred Cinnamon, who has done great stuff like High Noon and The Day of the Jackal, both films that prove he knows how to build up and hold up tension, he does the same here, and I really enjoyed it. The second one I saw was Thief's Highway from 1949, which follows Nick, played by Richard Conte, who you might remember from The Godfather, where he plays Mr. Barsini, who also returns from World War II to his family, only to find that his father has been brutally roughed up by a ruthless dealer, played by Lee J. Cobb. I like how the film presents the odds that Nick is against, but also his determination to overcome them. Conte is good, but Cobb steals the show. Unfortunately, the film is a bit dragged down by a couple of subplots and turns that I didn't feel were that well executed. Not a bad film at all, but it could have been better. I followed that with one that I had been meaning to watch for a long time, and that was The Asphalt Jungle from 1950. This one follows a group of criminals as they plan and stage a jewelry heist that could leave them all set for life. The main focus on the story is on Dix, a hooligan that's part of the group of criminals, one of the predatory beasts in the quote-unquote asphalt jungle, if you catch my drift. Great suspense, great supporting cast that includes Marilyn Monroe in a brief but crucial supporting performance, but most importantly, masterful direction by John Huston. My friend Jonathan Watkins at Sound Loomis 13, he said, so good. And obviously, I agree. Then I saw Mildred Pierce from Michael Curtiz, but I'll get to that one in a minute. The last film noir I saw was Gilda from 1946. This one follows Johnny Farrell, played by Glenn Ford, a small-time gambler that ends up in Argentina and in the path of the titular character, played by Rita Hayworth, with whom he might have had a past we're not so sure about. The film then plays a game of cat and mouse between these two as they take jabs at each other, the result of seething hatred, but maybe still some latent love deep down. This one was excellent, full of great performances. Hayworth, who I hadn't seen on anything, was quite a surprise. I have some issues with some revelations in the last act that felt very much studio forced, but other than that, it was a great watch. My friend Tom at Death Heaven said, first time, great movie, great poster. Pearl Hyacinth at Diesel Press said, good one. Binge Daddy at Binge Lord Dan said, ooh, love. My friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, Gilda was an early fave, mostly for the put the blame on main number, one of the few noirs regularly on TV when I was a kid. And my friend Brian Clarkson at Brian Clarkson 5 said, like Gilda, but wasn't sure if it wanted to be a film noir or a star vehicle for Hayworth. Wasn't a fan on how they withheld information to the last few minutes of the film. And maybe he's referring to the revelations that I felt were studio force in the end. So maybe we agree on that. Now on to the films from the loot, and the first category was a film from Michael Curtiz was born in December 24, Christmas Eve, and he's notable for directing a little-known film called Casablanca, arguably one of the best films ever made, but also The Adventures of Robin Hood, Endless with Dirty Faces, and the extremely entertaining pirate romp Captain Blood. In Mildred Pierce, he follows the titular character, played by Joan Crawford, a hard-working woman that is torn between her desire to provide for her spoiled daughter, Vida, played by Anne Blythe, and her relationship with several men. There's Vida's father, Bert, played by Bruce Bennett, with whom she splits because of infidelities and economic issues. Then there is Monty, played by Zachary Scott, the young playboy she meets later that might be in it for her money, or maybe something else. In typical noir fashion, the film features a broken narrative that starts with Monty being shot by someone, and then most of the film is told in flashbacks, as we see what led to that. 
which I thought was very effective. The thing is that it makes us think about the psyche of the different characters and their possible motivations. But putting aside the mystery, what made the film tick for me were the interactions between Mildred and Vera. Crawford is her usual great self, but I was really surprised by how Blythe held her own against her. Her clashing personalities and attitudes are what make the film interesting. So great performances, neat script, and a pretty good direction from Cortese, all of that makes a pretty nice film noir package that I strongly recommend. My friend Tyler at Ty the Film Addict said, one of the all-time greats, yet still second place for my favorite Cortese noir. And if you're wondering, I asked him, and his favorite is The Breaking Point Baby, he said. My friend Darren Lumber from Nostalgia Cast said, man, that Michael Cortese can cook. Sure he does. And my friend Brian Clarkson said, I got a soft spot for Mildred Pierce. Melodrama of the highest order about a hardworking mom and her grateful daughter. Wonder if the makers of Mommy Dears were inspired. I haven't seen Mommy Tears, but maybe I should check it out. Our second category was... A Western. For this category, I went with 1969 Sabata. This was recommended by my good friend Sean Cavender during the assignment episode. When I chose a Western, he mentioned Lee Van Cleef, and I said, hit me with a recommendation. And he came up with this one, and what a joy it was. Sabata follows the titular character, played by Van Cleef, a lone but skilled gunman that tries to protect the residents of the small town of Dougherty, Texas, from their corrupt leaders. The character of Sabata follows some of the typical tropes of the gunslinger western, like Eastwood's The Man With No Name or Charles Bronson's Harmonica, but still Van Cleef manages to separate himself from them and own this role. The main thing is that it's evident that Van Cleef is having a blast with the role. His Sabata is more charismatic and fun than Eastwood's Blondie or Bronson's Harmonica. Like them, Sabata is pretty much invincible, he's rough and tough, but he's always smiling and often cracks a joke or two. There are a couple of stereotypical characters he pairs up with, a Mexican drunk and a Native American that never speaks, and although they were well-played, cool characters, I don't think they were even necessary. There's also a mysterious drifter called Banjo, played by William Berger, that I thought was interesting in terms of performance and actions. Unfortunately, I didn't really like that his motivations were never clear and just seemed random. Still, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. Great gunfights, fun characters, a very villainy villain, and a badass gunslinger in the lead role. So thanks to Sean for another great recommendation. You're two for two, man. The third category was... A Christmas or Holiday Film. For this category, I went with Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas from 1999. This was a watch that was more aimed towards my kids, but why not talk about it? The film is an anthology of three stories, all focused on the importance of loving and sharing with your loved ones. The first one features Donald Duck's nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, stuck in a Groundhog Day-like time loop after they wish every day would be Christmas. The second one follows Goofy's son, Max, wrestling with the possibility that Santa might not exist. <gasps> the last one follows Mickey and Minnie's struggles to celebrate Christmas despite their economic issues. It is a fairly stereotypical Disney family film with some simple but very earnest messages. That said, I really enjoyed the creativity of the first story, the one with Donald Duck's nephews stuck in a time loop. And also Goofy had a couple of fun one-liners in the second story. The final story is the more quote-unquote serious one, but it's a very Mickey story. So if you're a fan of him, I suppose you'll enjoy it. The most important thing is that the kids enjoyed it, and maybe you might as well. The fourth category was... The last best picture winner you haven't seen. And what I do for this category is that I start from the last Best Picture winner, which would be Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and go back until I hate a film I haven't seen. Like I said in the assignment episode, I've seen most of the recent ones until... 
1987's The Last Emperor from Bernardo Bertolucci. This is a film that I was always intrigued by its cover and themes. The film follows the life of Puyi, who was crowned as Emperor of China during the early 20th century when he was just two years old. So the sight of a two-year-old baby propped up in front of scores of servants in the middle of the Forbidden City was always something that piqued my interest. The film goes back and forth between his childhood and youth as emperor and then a quote-unquote prisoner in the Forbidden City and his adulthood as a political prisoner in the 50s. And I really enjoyed this. I think the film did a great job of exploring Puji's state of mind. I thought it was so interesting to see a person that never had much say in his life in terms of what to say or what to do to try to figure his life out as he grows up. I mean, imagine being groomed and raised since you're two years old to be one thing, the emperor of China, and then have that thing taken from you. What does that person do? What options does he have? John Lone, who plays the adult Puyi, gives a very subdued and restrained performance that's full of melancholy and pensiveness. Thankfully, he's paired for half of the film with Peter O'Toole, who plays a British tutor that tries to keep his majesty's feet on the ground. And I thought the casting of O'Toole, who is most known for playing a character that also struggled with his life purpose and a godlike persona in Lawrence of Arabia, was really clever. He gives some subtle energy to half of the film he's seen that's very much needed. If I were to list one complaint, is that the film does tend to glamorize Puyi and sugarcoat some of the darker aspects of his short reign, but being based on his own autobiography, I guess that was expected. Still, I don't think it made the film any less interesting for an almost three-hour biopic about a Chinese ruler where there's little to no action. I found myself immersed by it most of the time, so I definitely recommend this one. The last category was... A film that starts with the letters W, X, Y, or Z. And for this category, I went with 2011's You're Next. The film focuses on Erin, played by Sharni Vinson, the new girlfriend of Crispian, played by A.J. Bowen, as they arrive at his family's vacation home to celebrate their parents' anniversary. Along for the ride are Crispian's siblings, Drake, Felix, and Amy, with their respective partners. But just as their personal differences start to boil, all hell breaks loose as a trio of mass killers with unknown motivations start attacking them one by one. This was a neat little surprise. I had heard some good things about it, but I didn't know much, so I was pleasantly surprised by the solid balance of horror, thrills, and dark humor. I thought that the tension between the siblings felt real, even if I felt they could have fleshed out one or two characters more to give the last act a bit more punch. I also thought the design of the killers with their mask was clever, and the way they are introduced was really effective. The film also doesn't waste a lot of time and goes right to the point with a lot of tension and dread thrown in the mix. However, I felt that once the motivations behind the attack are known, I felt the film got less interesting. I still enjoy what I got, but I wish that would have been polished more. Regardless of that, this was a very fun watch. My friend Brian Clarkson said, Your Next has one of the best final girls in horror. I'd wish the film around her was better. And finally, I close out the year with another holiday film, obviously the best holiday film there is, and that is Die Hard from 1988. A film I've probably seen a hundred times, a film I dedicated a whole episode to, so feel free to check it out. I think it's special episode number three or number four, and what is arguably the best action film ever made. No need to say anything else. I said, yippee motherfucker. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
So that was the holiday loot. I want to thank everybody for sharing your thoughts and for listening. As usual, feel free to check out any of these films I've talked about today and let us know what you think, because we love getting feedback from people that get something from the loot. But now that we got the holiday loot out of the way, let's look back at 2023 and share some recaps, milestones, thank yous, and more of what I saw, and also what has happened in the podcast during the year. I finished the year watching a total of 195 films, which was a tad less than the 200 I saw in 2022, but still more than the 163 I saw in 2021. Not counting rewatches, my least favorite watches of the year were Halloween Resurrection, the writing was on the wall, and the writing was right. Thanks to Ed from the Film Effect Podcast for making me watch this for their Halloween special episode where we talk about the franchise. As a matter of fact, check that episode from the Film Effect. It's a hundred times better than this film. Second, The Amazing Ball from 2012. A film I would still recommend just for how bizarre it is. Trust me, look for the trailer on YouTube, The Amazing Bulk, and then try to resist the urge to watch this film. Then we have Flight Plan from 2005. This was a birthday recommendation, but man, it was kind of like the package of boring socks you get from your uncles. Finally, The Great Siegfeld from 1936, an early Oscar winner that wasn't as great as the title says. On the other hand, my favorite first-time watches, not really watches, would be Gilda, which I just talked about in this episode, Shimasani, a short film from Native American filmmaker Black Horse Low, and which I discussed in the September Loot episode with David Rosen, Punchdrunk Love from 2002, early PTA is as great as recent PTA, thanks to Pete for recommending this, Sorcerer from 1977, William Friedkin was insane and this was insanely good, The Train from 1964, an amazing film with Burt Lancaster, and John Woo's The Killer. This one was thanks to Jason from Beach Movies and what an amazing treat it was. Other favorites that I want to mention, Paul Schrader's Blue Collar, Kurosawa's Ikiru, The Eyes of My Mother, which was recommended by Tyler, John Woo's Last Hurrah for Chivalry, Terror of Frankenstein, recommended by Sean Cavender, and Barbarian from 2022. I also managed to finish the higher series from BMW, which features a dozen of shorts designed to sell BMWs, but made by filmmakers like Tony Scott, Wong Kar Wai, Neil Blomkamp, Guy Ritchie. Most of the shorts are pretty good, but moreover, I consider them an interesting mixture of both marketing and art. And I've said this repeatedly whenever I reviewed any of these shorts, but they are car ads. And still, the fact that these filmmakers are given the space to just let go their imaginations with that marketing goal in sight, but still make something that feels like themselves, I think is quite amazing. So I recommend them all. They're all on YouTube, the higher. Now that 2023 is over and a new year has begun, the challenge of keeping up with the podcast continues, but I invite you all to check out what we have in store at the Movie Loop. We already have great guests and topics lined up for the year, so keep refreshing that podcasting app. But I also want to thank all the guests I had through the year. I've thanked them many times before, but I want to do it again. I said this last year, but I'll say it again. My goal has always been to bring a diverse group of guests from different walks of life, different fields, Adding the monthly loot challenge with guests added a bit more effort, but it was a nice spin and it opened the door to more collaborations. So I thought that was great. I mean, one of my last guests was Eduardo Sanchez, one of the co-creators of the Blair Witch Project, a film that is one of my favorite horror films. I had a New York Times bestselling author in Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl. I had professor of film studies, Richard Dyer, filmmaker Tim Egan, who made one of my favorite short films ever. 
But I also want to thank the following. Some of them are online friends, other are fellow podcasters. Most of them are both. Pete from the Middle Class Film Class, Brian Clarkson from Tickets Please, Corey and Justin from the Film Effect Podcast, Frank Mendoza from Silver Screeners, Stu from the Stewart Order, Sean from Review It Yourself, film critic Mel Valentin, Darren Lucas from Movie Reviews 101, Jason Kleberg from Force Fight Podcast, David Rosen from Pissing It Together, my longtime internet friend Tyler Jones, the great Lindsay Washburn, filmmaker Todd Sullivan, and the one and only Keram Maliki Sanchez. Keram, I owe you big time. I promise I'll make it up to you. But to all of you, thank you for your insight, your great conversations, your passion for movies, and everything you brought to the movie loot. I said it to Pete in our last episode together, but the movie loot wouldn't be half of what it is if it weren't for such great guests. And although I've never done this for the downloads, it is the way we have to measure how the show is doing. So I want to share some stats briefly. Although we didn't surpass the amount of downloads we had last year, it was expected mostly because of the hiatus in the last months of the year. But this wasn't an easy year from the start. Either way, we were in a good path until that hiatus. Three of our best months in terms of downloads were from 2023, including November, and two of our most downloaded episodes were from this year, The Vampire Dude with Tyler and The October Loot with Lindsay Washburn. Plus, we've also been ranking in the charts of some interesting places, like I said, the United Arab Emirates, Hong Kong. So once again, thank you to each and every one of you that's listening. So that's it for 2023. But we're not going anywhere, so make sure you keep checking us on your favorite podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen, and make sure you share the link so more people can join us. Like I said before, you can find the podcast on Twitter at TMML2021 and Blue Sky at The Movie Dude. You can find me personally on both Twitter and Blue Sky at TFCGT. You can also use those social platforms to let us know what you think of the show, film recommendations, or just engage with us because that's what I love most of this, to talk film with people. I'm trying to be a bit more active on Facebook, so look for us there as well. But whether it's here or there, one day or the other, just keep listening to the movie loot. Have a great day, a better year, and let's keep looting films together. Hey, amigo! Who in hell are you? Didn't I ever mention it? Ha, 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 ha,